The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This month on The Compliance Life, my guest is Asha Palmer. Asha has the current position of CECO at Conversant by OneTrust. We talk about what it's like to be a CECO at a compliance tech and product company. We detail her journey from watching Claire Huxtable on the Crosby Show to wanting to become a lawyer to going to a historic black college and university, law school, moving to Abu Dhabi, becoming passionate about working in compliance, establishing her own compliance consulting firm, which led her to sitting in the CCO chair or CECO chair at Conversant by One Trust. She details for us some of her observations in moving from the legal to compliance profession and what compliance professionals need to be thinking about and more importantly doing in the future. It's a fascinating exploration. I know you'll enjoy this month's offering on The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with another episode of This Month on the Compliance Life with Asha Palmer. Today, we're going to take up Asha's consulting career and how that helped inform her role as a CECO. Asha, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Great to be back. So, Asha, you went off and started a consulting practice. Can you tell us what led to that and what were some of your experiences early on? So I think, um, you know, I, I talked about in the last episode working for the Sovereign Wealth Fund and essentially feeling like I was a consultant because, again, different maturity levels, different risk models had to be agile in how we were thinking. And Then my family repatriated back to the U.S. And I had to really think about what I wanted to do. And, you know, similar to being a litigator, where you get to work on different cases with different customers and clients, you get to learn about different industries and, you know, different models of business. And you have to feed that into your litigation strategy and um, your case strategy. Like, that's what I felt I was able to do with the Sovereign Wealth Fund. And so it was kind of a natural progression for me to begin consulting, to look at, you know, different organizations and where they were in their maturity level um, in their ethics and compliance program and see how I could help and and see what they wanted to achieve and what the outcomes were and really strategize about the things that I had seen be successful versus the things that weren't so successful. And so connecting those dots from a consulting perspective was again um, invigorating. The other thing, Tom, is consulting offered me the flexibility I needed at that point in my life. And I think it's not, you know, it's, 
I can't talk about my career without talking about my life. And, you know, at that time I had three very young kids, you know, really going into an office or to one company wasn't necessarily something that was sustainable for me or my family at the time. And so consulting not only kept me interested and kept me on my toes and leveraged the skills and the and the things I was good at, but it also was perfect for my family at the time. And so, you know, one thing that I've also tried to be authentic about in my career is what works for me what works for my family and what is authentic to the things that I love and enjoy. So you had some experience uh, in your sovereign wealth fund days, uh, looking at different types of compliance programs, looking at different industries, looking at different verticals, sizes of companies, et cetera. And it seemed like that you saw some, I don't want to say similar problems, but at least you were able to identify some of the issues and some that I, I think you identified were siloed systems and stakeholders. What problems did you see when you went out doing consulting that companies, uh, I don't want to say typically had, but but had that you were uh, at least familiar with? Yeah, so I think that, that's such a great question I, because I think, as you said, the thing that I walked away with and I still have this impression is that most companies are dealing with the same thing. <laughs> and it was really an aha moment, which was, you know, again, siloed systems, not necessarily understanding where the risks are, how to ass assess them. You know, if you've been on any webinar with me, um, I talk about risk assessments. And I actually did my first risk assessment at the Sovereign Wealth Fund. But it was a process of figuring out the right methodology, understanding how to track it. And it took us a very long time to do that. And it was quite overwhelming. And I saw that a lot of companies weren't necessarily assessing their risk or knew how. And so then it follows after that, if you're not properly assessing your risk, how are you managing or mitigating them in an effective and efficient manner? And so I saw a lot of similar um, paralysis in how do I develop a program? How do I prioritize? How do I staff? What can I do differently? Um, I also saw a lot of people doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, right? Which some people will say is the definition of insanity. You know, doing the same trainings over and over again, but wondering why you have very similar cases coming in. And, and the great thing, you know, like that partner who was able to mark up my um, brief, you know, with the red pen over and over, when you're taking fresh eyes at something that someone else has spent a lot of time and hours and effort into, you're able to offer certain types of value and, and, and nuances and new approaches that they might not be able to because they're so deep into it. So the, um, when my, uh, compliance career started, it was very much, uh, lawyers and legal driven. And I used to say policies and procedures written by lawyers for lawyers. Did you see that issue as well? And how did you help either companies or compliance officers understand that their audience was not a judge, their audience might be a regulator, but their primary audience was their employees. And how did you craft policies and procedures 
which were understandable by the business person who's really trying to do the right thing, read and understand what the company wants and expects, and then actually go out and do that operationally. Yeah, so, um, you know, for me, there's never going to be one size fits all, right? We talked about that with the compliance program. I actually believe the exact same thing with the policy, right? And so there is someone like me who wants that very detailed policy. There are also people that don't want it. And so my strategy for that was, do you have a light version? Do you have a medium version and do you have a heavy version, right? Or whatever you want to call the names, but how do you communicate to people that learn differently, that, that want more or different levels of, of detail? And oftentimes for me, the compliance officer, the policy should say the standards to which everyone will be accountable to, not the standards in which everyone needs to remember. And I think those are the difference, right? How can you, how can you trigger people's ability to want and go for more information as opposed to be able to answer all the questions? And that is the nuance we haven't necessarily gotten totally right and let me admit i don't have all the answers either but i do believe that being on the process of having policies and procedures that simply sit on the shelf that no one reads is definitely not the path we want to go down what did you see in the evolution of data and the use of data uh, it seems like uh, or prep or perhaps i should say early in your career data was not as prevalent in the compliance function, but have you seen an evolution in that as well? Yes, I have seen a complete um, evolution that is still on the journey of how and where we can use data to tell a story. And it's interesting, you know, the theme I feel like I keep going back to is storytelling, but I, the data, we would report the data we wouldn't necessarily analyze the data before. And I feel like we are moving into a, an explanation of why. Why did we get an increase in these conflicts? Why did we get um, a spike in these type of reports? What is happening over here that we need to maybe get ahead of? And so using data to be strategic and proactive is something that people are now on the journey of doing. Um, also, if you've ever heard me talk, you know, Tom, I'm a fan of layering data, which I am convinced will be a trademark term very soon um, in ethics and compliance. But we have to layer data to tell a story. We can't just report the outcomes. We have to report the drivers that have led to those outcomes. And then how are we going to change or, or guide those drivers differently to have different outcomes. And that is the story that we need to begin to tell at the board level. We need to begin to tell to our business partners. We need to begin to tell to ourselves and the company so that we can begin to assert our value um, as partners as a and strategic people who have a seat at the table. Earlier, Asha, you mentioned stale training and uh, doing the same training over and over again. My first compliance training was a 267 slide PowerPoint deck, 7.5 hours in length uh, that I had to put on for uh, the business guys. And as you might guess, 20 seconds into it, they were all asleep. But how have you seen and indeed helped training evolve? What do you see now in terms of 
shorter, more focused communication, or even just storytelling in uh, training? Training is evolving, which is, is the good news. I think we have some people who still want to hold on to the traditional ways of training, but I think it's not necessarily doing away with those trainings, just like it's not doing away with the policies. It's how do you supplement those for different types of learners? You know, again, there may be an audience for a 267 slide training, maybe. <laughs> But most people, we, we communicate in bite-sized pieces, right? That's why like Twitter is 140 characters or maybe it's a little bit more now. Uh, I think it's 280 now, right? Um, uh, Instagram is 15 second videos. We, we consume in bite-sized pieces and, and that is just a fact. And so how, do, how are we adapting to that population of people who want to consume in bite-sized pieces? And one of the things that I'm really enjoying that I see a shift in is it's almost like choose your own adventure. You know, yes, you have a required training that maybe, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, but you also have a self-service portal where people can go to and say, I want to learn more about this. Oh, this issue just came up and I want to figure out what we have to say about it. How do you incite or activate people's desire to learn about compliance? as opposed to have to be trained on compliance. And I think that is a fundamental shift that we as an industry are starting to take is activating people's ability to learn and want to learn about ethics and compliance, not um, be beaten over the head to, to have to be trained on it. Well, Asha, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our fourth and final episode where Asha takes the CECO chair. I'm greatly looking forward to continuing the conversation. Me too, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode with Scott Sullivan in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to The Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.